can you give away any secrets of, of your theory of, of scaring people? The psycho shower scene made many women afraid to take a shower in a house where they were alone for years, some to this day. Well, I had um, a letter from a man who said that uh, my daughter, after she saw the French film Diabolique, would never take a tub anymore because they had a scene with a man coming out of a tub and taking his eyes out. Some horror scene. Yeah. He said, and after seeing that, she'd never take a tub. Now, having seen Psycho, she won't take a shower. <laughs> As a result, she's very unpleasant to be around. <laughs> so I replied, I said, dear sir, <laughs> send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> Lucky you! Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Arnie's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start again. Ignorance. There's no authority in the world like it. But, but there's, there's, there's got to be something more than that technically. I mean, how did you know that... You know technically that the whole bag of movies can be learned in about a day and a half. Okay. I kid you not. Mr. Hitchcock, why do you always make mystery films? Well, Life is a big mystery, isn't it? It always has been. I think people are intrigued by mystery to find out about things they don't know anything about. That's a mystery. So, Billy, we're back. Part two of, what'd you call it? Famous filmmakers, famous Hollywood directors. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about two um, of the more... Um, epic type directors of all time and the next two are the more two of the more rotund directors of all time uh but very very classic in their own ways by that you mean orson wells and alfred hitchcock so let's get right to it and uh here's orson wells talking about being a director and and how difficult it was quote unquote when you were out there, I, I've always wanted to know the answer to this. The, the, you always hear that when you were 26 years old and you made Citizen Kane, uh, and they said, you can't do th these things, you can't have the background in focus or whatever it was, or you can't shoot a scene that way, Mr. Wells, or young Mr. Wells, or Orson, or whatever they called you then. And you knew that you could, and how did you know this? Uh, because I didn't know any better, and it's very much in the line with what Jack was saying earlier in the show. It comes from, from just, uh, you know, sheer dumbness <laughs> you're sure it's got to be your good and your great it's ignorance there's no authority in the world like it but but there's, there's, there's got to be something more than that technically i mean how did you know that you know technically that the whole bag of movies can be learned in about a day and a half okay. i kid you not now how, how does it work how do you do it you get a guy who knows and how then to... ask him and that's the end of it it isn't yeah. much harder than <laughs> taking a, a, a home movies it's just about three points harder mm -hmm. and all these guys who do it try to make a big mystery of it because that's the, they're living mm -hmm. <laughs> now 
What do you think every director before, during, and after Orson Welles' interview is thinking about their their occupation? They're coming home. They're oh, it's so hard. Well, that's Orson Welles, top to bottom. Uh, <clears throat> that's the way he was. He he was. Um, I I don't want to say arrogant, but he's describing himself pretty well. He was just like, why not? I can. Why can't I do this? I I will do this. And, and it started with Orson Welles when he did the broadcast on the radio of the War of the Worlds where he had half of America believing that the earth was being invaded by Martians. He presented it on a Halloween night, like it was a news butting into a a radio show as a newscast. And he had all these, you know, actors and making it very realistic. That's what got everybody's attention. That's why he got the the, uh, right to make Citizen Kane in the first place. Leonard Malton, the esteemed movie expert, and a critic said about Citizen Kane that uh, it broke all the rules and made some new ones. And it's so clear when you watch that movie, you see stuff that you see every day now, but you never had seen until then. He talks about in this clip that I'll run again in a moment, how he even stepped foot on the stage of Citizen Cage at the age of 26. He tells a story where he watched John Ford's stagecoach over and over again over 40 yep. consecutive times over a month or so and he had different people come in and watch it with him he said how did he do that how do you do that what's this and he never took anything for granted as a director that you did a lot of things as a director you're an, uh, a big fan of greg tolan tell me why you are uh tolan was a cameraman uh, unfortunately died very young from uh corona uh, some kind of heart disease i think he was only in his 40s but he was camera on Grapes of Wrath for John Ford. He was camera on Citizen Kane, uh, many others. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the best years of our lives, he was camera. His his way of presenting a scene visually was was just inspiring. If you have if you have an eye for a camera, which I always did, I guess I've always loved the camera work. And when I when I saw the way he did it, he he was famous for deep focus, which means you're in focus and so is everything behind you way back. And there's a scene in um, in the best years of our lives where Frederick March is in the foreground and Dana Andrews is in the back on the, on the telephone. And they're both equally in focus and they're both equally important to the scene. And they're not with each other at the time. So and Orson Welles, you know, when he when uh, when he spoke to. Uh, Greg Tolan, Greg Tolan, he said, why do you want to do this? And Tolan said, because you've never done this before. Because I had in my first picture in Kane, the greatest cameraman who ever lived was Greg Toland. And he came to my office and said, I want to work in your picture. My name is Toland. I said, why do you, Mr. Toland? He said, because you've never made a picture. (laughs) And you don't know what cannot be done. And so I said, but I really don't. Can you tell me? He says, there's nothing to it. And he gave me the day and a half lessons. And he was right. Showed you how the camera works. That's right. There's nothing to do. And uh, so we had the day and a half, and there it was. But the only thing was, I'd been directing in the theater for this years. And I, nowadays, they have lighting people. We did then. And I had some, some of the greatest lighting people, in fact, in the theater. But many of the shows I lit myself. And I was supervised it. And I thought a director did that in a movie. So for the first 10 days, I was moving the lights around, you see. And uh, Toland was behind me, fixing it up and changing the readings and saying, shut up, let him go on. I want to see what he's up to, which was very chic of him, I think. 
And then somebody, somebody told me, and then I went and got on my knees and apologized. And <laughs> he talks about ignorance. It's also naivety. He thought he had to do all these jobs because probably yeah. when he was younger, there were less and less people on the set. But uh, to have, be able to work with these, you know, these geniuses, Bro. they refer to yeah. Citizen Kane as the Mona Lisa of, of, of films. Oftentimes called the best movie of all time. And to Orson's credit, um, <clears throat> some people don't think that he deserves credit for screenwriting and stuff like that, because Herman Mankiewicz basically wrote the screenplay. And that's great, and the screenplay is great, but the, that movie is so good because it, visually it's good, and because Orson Welles was such a good actor and it almost overacting with his troupe of Mercury actors. It was their first movie, Joseph Cotton's first movie, Agnes Moorhead's first movie, uh, Ray Collins' first movie. These, these people all want to become big stars. And at the end of this whole thing, Orson Welles shared the director's credit with Craig Toland. N never seen that before anywhere, where the cinematographer is on the same page as the director at the end of a, a classic movie like Citizen Kane. It was the whole ball of wax. That's the biggest gesture by any of these four filmmakers. You're going to see as we switch to uh, Hitchcock, because we should switch to Hitchcock, how that might never have happened with Hitchcock. He he had his own preferences and so forth. And um, but just the way Orson Welles tells the story. And and Orson Welles, unlike these other directors, acted in many of his own movies. So you know, Orson jumped in with both feet, and and you gotta you gotta be uh, respectful of that. Fear he was fearless. So Billy, let's move over to one of our favorites. If Certainly in the top of my favorite directors, Alfred Hitchcock. And it's because he tells a story, not because of his personal life, but you you, you have told uh, uh, earlier about the commonalities and, and you're talking about Orson Welles and Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock shared one fear. They both feared the police. As, as Orson Welles right. said, if the police came over, he had to have done it. Yeah, he must have done it, yeah. He must have done it. Or as Hitchcock says, you know, he didn't drive a car because he was afraid of getting a parking ticket, a $2 parking ticket, and that could amount to murder, the way he tells the story yeah. to the police. So let's see what he has to say. Mr. Hitchcock, why do you always make mystery films? Well, life is a big mystery, isn't it? It always has been. I think people are intrigued by mystery to find out about things they don't know anything about. That's a mystery. But surely not as sensational as you make it seem. Uh, life is more sensational. Directed this I shot. would say that uh, uh, how does one describe drama? Drama is life with the dull bits cut out. Nothing this guy more. was this guy was the master both on and off, uh, behind the camera and otherwise. <clears throat> and as he said, when he was making a film, actually shooting the film was the uh, anticlimactic part of the whole job. Yeah, he <clears throat> but he, the he's story. the best, in my opinion. It never, never, no one touches this guy for ability, for presenting a story, for suspense, for sure. He, he had a fifty-year 
film career, 53 films, as you've said before in other podcast episodes, he was a walking storyboard. So today you can buy software on your computer to storyboard your story, to figure out the things and the pieces and so forth. He loved figuring that out. What did he say? Uh, gosh, there were 78 shots in the um, scene. Psycho, yeah. It was 78 pieces of film in 35 seconds or something like that. Yeah, and that took days boom, to boom, film. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah, he said that the, the property guys had um, come up with this elaborate human-looking pink torso filled with blood so wherever you stabbed it blood would come out but they never ended up using it he didn't need it and what color was that filmed in that movie black and white yeah so you're never going to see the red blood but you knew it was red blood going down that drain you knew that she got yeah. hit and you knew there was more stabbing to come and it led to what <clears throat> in my lifetime is one of the most memorable shots i've ever seen where it starts on her eye and then zooms all the way out into the room, twisting and turning all the way out into the room and ends up on the $40,000, the MacGuffin, which uh, nobody cares about. But <clears throat> he knew he he envisioned that scene. Who would envision a scene like that? Start right on her eyeball and end up in the motel room. Like, wow. Well, here's his motivation. Uh, the mystery, the form of mystery uh, in a film as a kind of escape for yourself in any way, an escape possibly from your own fears. Well, it might have started that way. I suppose it must have all started when I was in my mother's arms at the age of six months. And she said to me, boo, <laughs> and scared the something out of me, you know. Can you remember any specific instance when you were frightened as a child? I have a vague recollection of being scared by a policeman. I think that uh, when I was probably about four or five years of age, being sent with a note to the local police station and being shut in a cell as a punishment for some mishap or um, I don't I think uh, I don't even know what what it was for. I was probably unjustly incarcerated at the time, but you see. <laughs> As a, as a six-year-old, he tells that story in so many places, whether it was four or five or six, but the rec recollection is the fright that he got from the police officer. And, and never got over. And he says, a psychologist will tell you, once you figure out what it is, you're over. And he said, nah, that didn't work for me. He didn't get over it. And at the American Film Institute, where they bestowed a lifetime achievement on him, and they did it very cleverly, every living actor, actress that was in his movies was at that place. And then people who weren't like, I think I saw Barbara Streisand there. I think I saw some popular cultural people there that weren't in any of his films, but everybody, they must've been running over to go to that. And he was there and he was talking about that story. And that was near the end of his life because they really had to prop him up to get him there. And Alma, his wife was there too. She had just had a stroke. She was crying when he attributed his lifelong success to four people. And each one of those people turns out to be his wife, Alma. Yeah. But you mentioned Psycho. So let's go to Psycho here. Well, Psycho is the movie that put him in the public eye. It was no longer just, you know, film goers and, you know, film aficionados and people who appreciate film. Psycho was like 
draws, basically. It brought in everybody. They all want to see this, this horror movie, this very scary movie. <clears throat> it put him, it put his name in the mouths of people who had never heard of him before. Yeah, he called it a shocker, but suspense and shock were in there and dread, those three things. And he preferred that, that line of work um, over anything else. New film is called Psycho. Can you tell me something about it? Well, Psycho is my first attempt at a shocker. In other words, it has in its content certain episodes which do shock. In some sense, it could be called a horror film, but the horror only comes to you after you've seen it, when you get home in the dark. When you get home in the dark and you're putting the pieces together and you don't sleep that night, because he, this is where he tells the story about the woman who wouldn't take a tub after seeing Diabolique, an old movie where there was a, you know, a gory scene in a bathtub, and then she sees Psycho, and so she won't she won't take a bath, and now she won't take a shower. <laughs> She's become very unpleasant to be around, <laughs> and <clears throat> she won't take a shower. She won't take a tub. Then he wrote back, uh, send her to the dry cleaner. Well, let's let's hear the rest of this here. This is just great. And again. He's my favorite because the way he tells stories, and that is the same way he tells stories in movies. The range of stories he told is, is, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, he just liked to find the murder and walk backwards from that. You know, in, in uh, Strangers on a Train, about midway through, there's a murder. and uh, I think he said at one point, I, you know, I'm always working on a film. Yeah. In you know, the, when, uh, what was it in the uh, movie... Um, where it's all in the apartment. Uh, rope, we've talked rope. about rope. Rope is all done basically inside that apartment, kind of like his concept with rear window, not all in and the apartment. And dial M for murder. And dial M for murder. But 90% of those, the, the scene is there. I think the opening scene of rope is outside the apartment, like from on the balcony. Just walking and the rest, yeah. And the rest is in there. And I think dial M for murder, there might be an occasional shot of the exterior, like Ray Milan standing outside the apartment building. But again, the rest of it takes place in there. There's a shot of him and Robert Cummings at the uh, phone where he actually dialed the M for murder. <clears throat> but again, mostly takes place in that parlor, as many as many great movies do. The interviewer here goes, and he doesn't, It's this movie isn't out yet, so he has to describe a little bit further about Psycho. About a particular kind of Oh, man. well, the, the rather broad idea is a, a young man, played by Anthony Perkins, who runs a small motel, about a 12 unit, a rather cheesy affair, really. And in an old house behind the motel uh, is his mother, and she, I'm afraid, is homicidal. He should put her away, but he loves her too much. So you can imagine what happens to the guests at the motel. <laughs> well, we know what happens to the guests in the motel. And, and uh, the people investigating the guests at the motel. Well, and the way he describes that, you think there's two characters here when there's a split personality character, but he doesn't lead into that. But no. in his mind, there were two characters. The way he thought about it and directed it, there was the mother, and there was uh, the son. And even at the end where the psychiatrist, I think his name is uh, Simon Oakland, might be the guy who played him, talking about the two characters. Exactly. As if they're two different people. But Norman, but Norman's mother, you know. <clears throat>
And and again, we should mention the MacGuffin. That was Hitchcock's term for um, in spy movies, or in, in this case, in Psycho. <clears throat> the MacGuffin is the thing that everybody in the movie is after, but the audience doesn't really care what it is. It could be microfilm. It could be jewels. It, it doesn't matter what it was to the audience. And he calls that the MacGuffin. So, Billy, we're talking about two classic filmmakers in Orson Welles and and, and Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock did twice as many films as Wells, but they both told the story so well. And it was the director that was the most important. As a matter of fact, Hitchcock referred to actors as uh, you need to treat them like cattle. They were just part of the whole thing, like the lighting director and the property man and so forth. He had a, a, a real feeling about this, but he was so technically correct in that he would tie the birds to Tippy Hedren's arms and film. Right. He said the hardest part was training the birds. The first time I ever heard those birds were trained in the birds, but that's the detail that he went at. Final yep. thoughts. Well, Psycho led him to the birds, but all the movies he made up till then, Foreign Correspondent, Lady Vanishes, Dial in for Murder, were very different. But that shows you how versatile Alfred Hitchcock was and what a mind he had. And as he and as he always said, you know, once it's all planned out with the writers and everything like that, shooting the film was so anticlimactic to him because he he already saw it. You were great about telling me to watch certain movies, but let's take let's instruct our audience two or three that you would recommend they go and invest some time with. Definitely the ones that they may not know about. Which ones would you recommend? Foreign Correspondent, North by Northwest, Rope. I think the lady vanishes is also excellent. Notorious, 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 notorious is all correct. The best one. It's all black and white. Claude Rains, the acting in that is unbelievable. And the Thirty Nine Steps, another old one, black and white, with this the same kind of theme, where an innocent guy gets tossed into a situation that, you know, gets worse and worse, and he's got to find his way out. This is fabulous, Billy. There's no shortage of stories for John Ford, Howard Hawks, Orson Welles, or Alfred Hitchcock. We hope you've enjoyed this. Give us some comments. And uh, if you have other directors that you want us to talk about, I love Frank Capra. We'll do it, but we need some feedback. Yeah, and, and someday we'll get to Guy Ritchie, one of the modern day great directors. Uh, and I think he's right up there with the best that, that ever walked uh, Hollywood. All right, you're the director. What do we do at the end of Cut, that's a wrap. Well, I once, uh, I once gave a dinner party for my wife at, you know, Chasen's restaurant out in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He had a back garden in those days. We had a table for 14 people. And I got central casting to give me an aristocratic old lady. We had her hair done beautifully, dressed her well, and sat her at the head of the table. And the guests arrived and said, who's the old lady? I said, I don't know. Oh. I said, I've never met her before, which was the truth I had. <laughs> and uh, the proprietor of the restaurant kept out of the way and guests continued to arrive and always the same question, who's the old lady? I said, I don't know, we're trying to find out. <laughs> and finally the proprietor came and I said, Dave, go and find out who the old lady is sitting up and he went and bent over her. He came back and she said, she's with Mr. Hitchcock's party. 
I said, I've never seen her before in my life. Well, she sat there the whole meal. <laughs> Drinking martinis, by the way. Yeah. Did she enjoy it? Apparently, she had to be helped to the car. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? I was, I, well, at least we have a laugh to add it to that. <laughs> right. We're, we've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Somebody changed my grip, and the next thing you know, I can't do the podcast anymore. I felt like I was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon. <laughs> and your brother was poking my you. Brother, my brother was making me laugh. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to Two the show. Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes.